So let's read this verse. We're going to pull from 1 John. And if you don't know, 1 John is different than the, than the Gospel of John. The Gospel of John was written to give people information about how to gain eternal life. The word believe is used, uh, I think, over 80 times. And eight times specifically, he says to believe in Jesus for eternal life in that book. So the, uh, the words believe, Jesus, and eternal life are used together at least eight times to tell us the way that we can have eternal life. First John is different. First John is written to believers. And it's about how we can abide or have fellowship. And so a lot of times when you look at First John uh, or books like it that deal with your Christian life, there's an element of conviction there. And what I mean by that is that they're, uh, it's designed to convict the believer. And so it's a little bit more black and white. So I say that as a caveat going into this lesson today because this lesson has the opportunity to convict you. Is it did me. And I hope that you get out of it. What I got out of this study is that it puts you to a point of decision. Because once you've recognized and admitted that, yes, there is a part of you that likes to sin, there's a part of you that pulls you to sin. We know that. We also know from Scripture that there's an entity who sets his will against God and against you. And then you're going to look at the uh, Scripture today, and we're going to see that he used his fallen world system to entrap us or to snare us, or to keep us comfortable in apathy, or all these different ways that he's created to keep us from God. And when you start to recognize that in your day-to-day -day life, you're able to do something about it. And so there's no one of conviction in this, and let's see what he says here in First John. Uh, chapter 2, verse 15 through 17, he says, Do not love the world, nor the things in the world. Here's a black and white statement. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that's in the world, we've seen these the last three weeks, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life, it's not from the Father, but it's from the world. And by the way, the world is passing away, and also it's lust. But the one who does the will of God lives forever. So we see immediately in this contrast, uh, you think, what's the most famous uh, verse in the book of John, in the Gospel of John? 3.16. And what does it say about the world? Okay, so here's exactly what I was talking about earlier. God so loved the world that he gave his only God son. But here, in 1 John, which is the end of our Christian life, he says, don't love the world, nor the things in the world. So we have to appropriately divide, or rightly divide the word here understand what we're talking about. In the Gospel of John, he's dealing with believing for. In the first John, he's dealing with our Christian life. And so he's meaning something different. Though the word is the same, world, he's going to talk about something different. So it's important that we study this so that we can make an appropriate application for it. Because the Bible doesn't contradict itself. So in this lesson, we're going to wrap up the spiritual warfare aspect of our identity. Uh, and we're going to study our third enemy, which is the world, the world system. We look at the flesh. How did we define the flesh? Do you guys remember when we talk about the flesh, it's the part of us that what? The natural Yeah, it's the natural pull of sense. It's the part of us that wants what we want regardless or without regard to what God wants for us. That is us. Every one of us has this part of us. And then what is Satan? The word Satan, you guys remember what his name means? It's an adversary. Who does he oppose? God. He opposes God and he opposes us, believers. So look at this and think of it and conceptualize it this way. Here in 1 John, he's already given us the enemies. The flesh, which is the part of us to do sin, that to do apart from God. And then we've got Satan, who opposes God. And now we're going to talk about the world. The world system. How can that be our enemy? God so loved the world. Well, he says here, don't love the world, because if you do, the love of the Father is not in it. Would it be that in John he's talking about the creation? Nope. And I'm gonna, that's a good point, a good thought, Russ, but we're, we're going to talk about how that can't be true. Right. It's actually a good thought. And so as we're going to see today, the concept, this concept of the world is used throughout Scripture, and it's never really explicitly defined in the way that you study these passages and you start to put them together, uh, we're going to be able to rightly divide the word. 
So and we're going to see that this is the same, this is the system. It's not just the world, it's a system that Satan is over and controls. And one way to think about it in order to grasp the concept is to think of it as the sum of all of Satan's influence over time. It's the sum of all his work, everything uh, that he's influenced over a specific period of time. And I mentioned earlier that he's like an architect, that he's creator, uh, maybe an artist. The world system is, is his masterpiece. He's worked to produce this mechanism uh, that has influenced uh, humanity, and he attempts to operate, number one, without God, because that's just like us. The flesh is the part of us that wants what we want without regard, without regard to him. So he has created this world system to operate without him, and number two, contrary to him. And it's called the world system. So let's look at these goals and uh, review, and then we'll get into it. So we want to understand what the meaning of the world is as used by New Testament authors. Okay, and we've already talked about that a little bit. And we want to see the relationship between the world and God. We've already started that conversation. Three, to recognize the implications of loving the things of the world. So do a little hypothesis in your mind. Do an educated guess. What do you think are the implications of loving the things of the world? Before we study, going against God's will. I think that's pretty clear from the source verse that we looked at. Yeah, it's against God. And just going to distract you from what His purpose for you is. Yeah. For believers especially, He wants us to be distracted. He wants us to be comfort and comfortable in our apathy, so that we don't serve. And the last goal is that we want to begin to develop an appropriate perspective for our lives in the world. Because as we're going to see, Jesus prays for his disciples in the book of John and says that even though we're not supposed to be of the world, we are supposed to be in the world. We're supposed to be lights to a crooked and perverse generation, as Paul says in Philippians. So quick review, and I know you know this, but I want to begin into our heads so that we can walk away and teach it. But walking the news of life means that we stop letting sin reign in us based on the power that comes from our position in Christ. That was the first few lessons. That was Romans 6, 7, and 8. Utilizing the power that comes from our position can be difficult because we have an inherent mechanism working against us, the flesh. And we have an entity, Satan, that creates devices to appeal to our flesh. That's what we're going to talk about today. Our spirit, the part of us uh, that is able to relate to God, and the Holy Spirit enables us to walk in Christ, but our flesh pulls us to sin, and that creates an internal tension in the dilemma. Satan's our adversary, we saw two weeks ago. He proactively appeals, and remember, that's proactive. He intentionally, on purpose, is before we can do anything, he's out to get us. He proactively appeals to our flesh through temptation. He hopes that we'll sin. He hopes that we'll stay in sin and forsake our fellowship with God. Okay, and then last week we saw that he uses the lust of our flesh. Remember when we talked about David and Adam and Eve and Jesus. He tries to appeal to the lust of our flesh, the lust of our eyes, and the pride of life to get us to do things, want things, and be things that are apart from God. So that's just a quick five bullet synopsis of this semester. So I've entitled section 7.2, The Cosmos. The Cosmos. And I've asked the question, what is the world? What in the world is the world? So uh, it can mean several things. I don't want to neglect this point of it because it's true that in Scripture it can mean several things. Okay? It can be used to describe, number one, the arranged or ordered system that sets itself apart from God's will, which we're going to see here in a minute. Two, in Acts, it's used to describe the entire physical universe. Same word, the cosmos is used to describe the physical universe. And sometimes, like in John 3.16, it describes humanity. Mankind or humankind and the inhabitants of the earth. And Jesus and the New Testament authors all tie the world in with a system that sets itself apart from God. And it's in this context that these writers demonstrate the set of values, priorities, and belief that exclude God 
and they're developed, maintained, encouraged, and spread by saved. And I've put some good passages that help us understand, uh, help our understanding of the world. So let me, let's just read a couple of them before we get into it. So one of the most important ones is obviously what Jesus has to say about the world. Uh, will someone look up, while I'm looking at Jesus's, will someone look up James 4.4? Who's got that? Okay. And I'll go to John 18. So I'm going to read John 18, 36. Listen to what he says here. Jesus answered, and he's talking to Pilate here. He says, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would be fighting so that I would not be handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not of this realm, which is an interesting word that he uses. The word realm literally means this side of things, which is interesting that Jesus said the Bible. It says, my kingdom is not on this side of things, which can have a lot of different implications. What does James 4.4 4 say? I, you are, you adulterous people, and do you know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? So whoever wants to be the friend of the world becomes the enemy of God. Thank you. We're going to say that entire passage of James here in a little bit in our lesson. But as we see here, friendship with the world is what to God? It's hostility towards God. That's opposition, just like we saw last week with Jesus and Peter. So what does the Greek word mean? The Greek word here that I use for the world is the word cosmos. Can anybody think of a word that we uh, have in the English that uses the root word cosmos? Okay. What is cosmetology? What is cosmetology? That's all beautifying of your features. Yeah. It's, it has the idea of arranging, or ordering and arranging something. So cosmetic, cosmetology, that's exactly right. It's like when a woman says, I'm going to go get my face on. You know, I'm going to go put my makeup on, get everything put together. It's the exact same meaning. It's this ordered or arranged system that is created. And that's, the, and that's it. It's used 185 times in the New Testament, 105 of which are in John's writings. And in these instances, it has the idea of an ordered and or arranged system that sets itself apart from God's will. And I said here that based on the context of the scriptures in which it's used, we can clearly take it to mean an order and arranged system that sets its will against God and promotes the desire to function without God, especially when we know and understand that Satan is its Lord. And then to your original point or question earlier, this, this is not the same word for earth. The Greek word for earth, I might not do the Greek words, but transliterated would be the word G-E-S. Uh, and I put some verses there that kind of contrast cosmos with this G-E-S word. And some of the places that that's used are Matthew 6.19 where he says, don't store, yourselves, don't store for yourselves treasures on earth, talking about the physical real estate or this world you know, the earth, or moth and rushes, or don't think that I came to me pre peace on this planet, this earth, G-E-S. All authority has been given to me in heaven, talking about a physical real estate, physical location. And then the one there in Colossians 1.16, all of these uses of earth refer to the actual planet of real estate, and very separate from the verses used concerning the fallen world system. And that's important to understand that if the Bible were actually talking about the dirt or the rock that is this planet, it would use this word. Or it doesn't. It uses the arranged system known as the cosmos, the following world system. And I put here that for the purposes of this study, and really what the New Testament authors were getting at, we're going to define the world as the intentionally arranged, and that word intentionally, Satan, remember, is intentional. It's his intentionally arranged system of cultures controlled by Satan, designed to ensnare us, distract us, cause us to stumble, or keep us from God. It's specifically and purposefully contrary to him, to God. 
And if you think of what Satan want, why did Satan rebel? Because he wanted to be equal by God. He wanted to be the most high. He wanted to be equal to God. He wanted to be the God. So it makes sense that his fallen world system would be contrary to God. Because he wants to be God. He wants to be the God. It's this influence, or this influence is the result of what we see in society, culture, economics, education, entertainment, religion, philosophy. This entire contract is probably Satan's primary weapon, used to appeal to the flesh of humanity and to consume every aspect of our being and to keep us in a relationship with God. And I like this definition. I think I took this one from the commentary. The world is the counterfeit existence developed by the counterfeit God to keep us from a genuine existence with a genuine God. So far, does everything that we've talked about make sense? I have to ask that because this is, you know, it's an abstract concept. The fallen world system is hard to make tangible. So I want to make sure that everybody's on the same page. Does everybody get it? Okay. And then here's the verse from 1 John where he says, Don't love the world nor the things in the world. If anything love, if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but it's from the world. The world's passing away, and also it's lust, but the one who does the will of God lives forever. So notice, what does this passage say about the world? Verse 15. The love of the world comes from the world, verse 16, and then the world passes away. That makes sense? So that's your filling, that's your blanks. The love of the world comes from the world and passes away. So throughout the semester, when I've talked about everything that we do outside of our relationship with God is a sideshow, it's a, it's a circus. It doesn't matter. You don't take it with you. That's what I'm saying. That's what I'm getting at. It's the same thing with John is Everything that's in the world, all this sideshow, all this distraction, to love that is to love the world, and it's all going to pass away. The world and its lusts are all passing away. Why would we invest in that? I don't know why we would. Knowing what we know, I don't know why we would, even still knowing that I struggle with it. That's because Satan's good at what he does. Satan's world is counterfeit, and all the things that he's designed to entrap us and distract us are not from the Father. They may not seem harm, they may seem harmless or even good or fulfilling in the moment. They don't appear as bad on the surface. And sometimes they can even create senses of happiness or contentment. But this contentment is temporary and ultimately unfulfilling. I want, to keep, I want to keep this in the back of our mind as we break into this. I'm going to talk about this first part of section 7.3, and then I want to talk to you about it. We looked at three categories that these things fall in under last week. All the things of the world. The rest of the eyes, the rest of the flesh, and the pride of life. But we didn't discuss the specifics in today's world. So let's do that now. So, two questions. What are some applicable things in our world today that John's talking about? When he says, if you love the things in this world, things of this world, the love of the Father is not here. So, that sounds bad. Because we want to love God the way that He wants us to. But we can't serve two masters. You can't love the world and love God at the same time. So let's talk about that. In today's culture and society, what does the world offer? What, do we, what does it want us to want? What are some things of the world? Is, let me ask you something. <clears throat> is money the root of all evil? The love. The love. It's the love. Okay. Money or provision, that's what it is, itself isn't inherently evil. It's the means sometimes by which God provides, but it's the love of money. It's a motive issue. It's a heart issue, which we're going to see later. Okay. okay. What, say, what was somebody said something else good? What was it? Prestige. Yeah. So I would put that under. That's a power thing, right? Power, status, authority. Look at me, what I got. Yeah. 
I think that's well, yeah. yeah, that's all Christie's. That's good. The older you get, it seems like the more important this becomes to you. Because really what you're talking about here, it's either the ability to enact change, power, authority, or like you said, Russ, it's the look what I've accomplished, look who I am, look what I have. It's starting a lot younger. Like with social media and stuff, yeah. it's all about yeah. looking at me, look at me, look at me. Self promotion. Which is power, attention, you know your status compared to somebody else's, how many followers you have. Yeah, that's so good. So, yeah, social. Society is really what social is. Mm -hmm. Social repute. Okay. What else does the world love? You guys are missing a big one. That was entertainment. Okay, so what is, what, what do you mean by that? Well, there's a lot of idols in entertainment right now. I mean, you there's a lot you can choose from. Let's talk about this for a second. Uh, I don't know what subheading to put this under, but it is true. What Lisa said, entertainment. Um, it's true that people can take entertainment too far. Yeah? Mm -hmm. We all agree with that? So when you say entertainment, are you talking about like celebrity type of stuff? Or are you talking about the type, leisurely type of things, how we spend our spare time. Both, really. Okay. Both. Yeah. I mean, you can overdo it in both categories. I mean, those things aren't inherently sinful, but what you do with them can right. be sinful. How many of you can quote more movie quotes than scripture? <laughs> how many of you know, know more uh, musical lyrics than you know songs? Uh, yeah. Or facts about movie stars. I mean, yeah. So like, you think about Comic Con, you think about Star Wars, Star Trek, yeah, yeah. Sports, sports, sports. Should we leave that one out? <laughs> <laughs> you can't. You can't. Yeah, I, I could literally, I could have list, done a list of the Heisman Trophy winners before I could have listed books in the New Testament. That. That's true. These are all things that we are. It's just stuff that the world system values. Because if I can pour myself into this... Oh, it's a it, great distraction, too. It's a great distraction. There's no greater distraction. Um, here's one. Maybe a little bit more greater, but maybe not. What about hobbies? Crashed me a thousand dollar airplane last weekend. Brand new. I got pissed. <laughs> I was sitting down and got pissed. I was throwing things and everything. Bad battery. And it just nosedived in the ground, cost me a ground. There's nothing inherently wrong with having a hobby. No, but There's how you treat it. Yeah, where's your heart at? Like, and where are you prioritizing? You know, what how, what do you do with it? Yeah, this this is an interesting interesting concept because you border on legalism. If you start telling people that they basically have to be monks and nuns, because that's not what we're getting at. That's not what I'm saying. There's nothing wrong with loving to watch college football. There's nothing wrong uh, with listening to some certain types of music, uh, with having certain types of hobbies. That's not what we're getting at. Can't idolize it. And, but you know what Satan loves? He loves to twist it to where it's indistinguishable. Where do you draw the line in between right and wrong? And as soon as those waters start to get muddy or murky, the more difficult it is for a person to distinguish what's right from wrong, or what's maybe not right from wrong, but appropriate for inappropriate. Okay, what else? And it's something that ties in especially to all three of these, by the way. Well, video game, a lot of people play video games. Oh, man, yeah. I was trying not to talk about that one, Scott. Yeah, that was tough. This one's hard because I, you know, I teach I teach about this on campus. Uh, I I think I shared with Kevin in the last semester that I was developing. I don't want I didn't want to do it for this exact reason. In a sense, I'm contributing to the problem when I'm teaching people about the industry of video games. But the fact of the matter is, I can't also use that in my class to be in the world but not of the world. And I do, by the way. In my class, we talk about the dangers and, and the dark side of it as well. So, 
Okay, but we're still missing, we're missing a, a couple of big motivators. I was thinking about immediate gratification. Like, that could do a lot of different ways. Put idolatry in there? Yeah, so idolatry would definitely Time go in there. I want to pull on the string for a minute because you're on the same thing. Well, let's talk about what you mean by immediate gratification. Doing the things that feel good in the moment, even though you might regret it later. Or... I mean, okay, you're, you're hitting all around what I'm going for. There's so much truth in what you say, because we are immediately gratified. So there's two things that in today, in 2022, immediate gratification can mean something differently because of how accessible they are. Number one is sex. <coughs> yeah, you really want to drop that. And along with that is appearance and looks. Uh, I can tell you that even in the last couple of years, college students, APDA, is it ANC or ANC? I was so obsessed with sexuality. Yeah. Instagram, everything's on display. Yeah. And it's what you have to do now. It's so easy for them. They have apps. You don't have to contact anybody. You can just swipe right or swipe left. And if someone did the same to you, it gives you a heads up that you guys are compatible because you're both visually interested in one another. It's just so different than you see it. So instant gratification for sure that way. Uh, pornography. I, I mean, I can't believe some of the stuff I didn't know until I was almost in my 20s. There's like eight-year-olds that know that stuff. You're all that years ago. You hear about it and type it in and look at it. And then another part of instant gratification that goes along with that what about education and knowledge? Does the world say this is important? Mm -hmm. Could this, could you conceptualize education and knowledge as part of the fallen world system? Why do you go to college? Yeah, although now, I mean, you make more money on TikTok than you do with the... Right, and if, yeah, for sure. Yeah, same thing with video games, Twitch and other things, right? And the education and the knowledge is more of a pride issue. It's really it a pride is. issue. It fits. It can be. It can be a pride issue. It can, okay, it can be. Yeah. We, are we supposed to know the Bible? Or just know the facts and information of the Bible? That's knowledge and wisdom. Uh, why? Where's, where's the heart at? Why do you want to know that knowledge? What do you do with it once you have it? It's the same thing in higher education, secondary education, elementary education. So looking at this list, I'm going to read this again. Don't love the world, nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in it. For all that's in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but it's from the world. The world is passing away, and also it's the lust. To he who does the will of God lives forever. This is how much of our time, effort, and energy, and emotion is poured into something on this list. You know, parents are sacrificing uh, lives with their children at the altar of money, at the altar of power and status and prestige, at the altar of entertainment and leisure. And not just their children, but their literary lives. Like, what they're thinking about, what they're studying, what they're doing. That's convicting. And that's what John's trying to do here, by the way. He wants Christians to know what they're up against. Because who wins when this is our life? Saying that. We're going to see here in just a second in James 4. Pride. Yeah. And that's all, that's all part of this. Mm -hmm. It's all part of the flesh. And Satan knows it. That's the entire point of this lesson. He knows this better than we know us because he's been around longer. So he's carefully crafted this world system to appeal to our pride. So all this stuff goes right here. And we like it. And he knows we like it. Because he's tried the same things on the same types of people all throughout his existence. Because he wants us to worship him. He wants to be the God of this counterfeit existence. This is all a sideshow 
It's nonsense. It's garbage. It's all going away. We're not taking any of this with us into the kingdom. When we stand before Jesus, he doesn't care how many levels of Mario we beat, or how many song lyrics we know, or how many college football head coaches we can say, or how many likes we got on our inappropriate Instagram picture. You know, I don't care about the degrees you have. But yet, this is where we pour our time, our effort, our energy, our emotion, our money, all that stuff goes into this following system. And he said, look, this is all passing away. The love of the world comes from the world. It's a, a what's that in Excel? Well, it's a circular reference. The love of the world comes from the world, and it's going to pass away. So what's the, I ask the question here, what's the problem with loving these things? Well, the problem is you can't love God and the things of the world at the same time. You can't, because they're in opposition to one another. You can't love God and the things of the world at the same time. If you love the things of the world, you are loving the world, not the things of God. And so two difficult questions that you, to think about as you become more and more conformed to the image of Christ and mature as a Christian is when does your like or enjoyment of something become love of something or idolatry? It's not a sin to like sex. I like sex, but I'm married and I use it appropriately. I like sports, music and movies. I like video games. When does that turn into love? When you idolize it. Yeah, when you idolize it. When does it become idolization? They said when you put it above other things that you could or should be doing. When you're putting it above God and others. Because remember, that's the number one and number two greatest commandments. To love God, to love others. When these things stand in the way of your love for God and your love for others, you're doing it wrong. It's pretty simple. So you're going to love the world, you're going to love God and love others. And so that means something different for every individual. Because I'm not going to love the same things Chelsea loves with the same passion that she loves. And she's not going to love the stuff I love with the same passion that I love. Some people aren't going to be tempted by some of the stuff on this list. So the world, though, is all-encompassing. It doesn't have to. It's going to appeal to something for somebody. There's plenty of things. It's an equal opportunity offender. And here's the second question. How do you know? if you're putting something over the love of God or over your relationship with God. That's really asking how can you be convicted? At what point are you convicted? And that's a question you have to answer for yourself. Or something that you pray about and you consider. And I wrote here, here's a perfect passage of what we've seen today and during the first five weeks of the semester. It's what pays part of what for everything. Listen to what James says here. Look how he starts out this in chapter 4, verse 1. He says, what is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? He said, where does it begin? Is it, doesn't it begin with your pleasures that wage war in your members? As he's talking about your flesh. You lust and you don't have, so you commit murder. You're envious and you can't obtain, so you fight and quarrel. He just simply says, by the way, you don't have because you don't ask. And even if you ask, you're not getting it because you don't ask with the right motives. So that you may spend it on your pleasures. You adulteresses. Do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility towards God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Why then? We talked about last week when Peter, Jesus said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. Why? Why did he say that? Because he was going contrary to God's will. Because he was going contrary to what God wanted. Isn't that the exact same thing that James is saying in it? What's an adulteress? Somebody who goes opposite of the intention. You adulteresses, don't you know that friendship with the world is hostility towards God? Whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes itself an enemy of God. 
Or do you think that Scripture speaks for no reason? He jealously desires the Spirit which He has made to dwell in us. But He gives a greater grace. Therefore, since God is opposed to the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. This is a theme all throughout Scripture, by the way. If you want direct life application, underline this verse. God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So what? Well, the so what is submit therefore to God. Resist the devil. Remember how we talked about two weeks ago? Make a strong stance. Stand firm and be alert so that you can resist and he'll flee. James says the same thing Paul said. Resist the devil and he'll flee from you. Draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, he says, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Why does James call him double-minded? And how guilty are we that we say with our mind, we want to obey God and do what he wants for us. But with the other side of our mind, we say, I want money, power, entertainment, sex, and education. That's what the double-minded person is here in James. Uh, I don't know the exact quote or have it memorized, but C.S. Lewis has, or maybe, it's either C.S. Lewis or Winston Churchill, somebody will have to look it up. One of them says that as people were far too easily pleased uh, and were satisfied making mud pies in a slum because we don't know what it means to enjoy a holiday or a vacation at sea. The life that God wants us to live, the life that is best for us, is saturated with Him and His Word, resisting Satan and drawing close to God. But we are so satisfied with the mud pies. And Satan knows it. So he's made them so attractive to us that we sit and wallow in that instead of enjoying the holiday sea, at sea that is the uh, relationship of drawing in the now. So you tell me or ask this question, what is causing quarrels and conflicts here? The pleasures that wage war in our members. That's spiritual warfare. When we studied Ephesians 6 a few weeks ago, it's exactly what we were talking about. Satan doesn't wage war fairly, by the way. He's dirty. It's not fair. And so if we're not standing firm, and if we're not alert to his fiery arrows of doubt, then we can't resist. So this is talking, what is this, so what is this talking about? It's talking about the satisfaction of our own desires. Not the satisfaction of God's desires for us. That's the flesh. Our own desires, rather than God's desires for us. We've already answered it, but I said, why does James call these brethren adulteresses? Because we can't love God and the things of the world at the same time. That's pretty straightforward. If believers succumb to the urge to love the world and the things in the world and become unfaithful to God, that we're not only loving something else, but we're loving something that's directly contrary to Him. In fact, we make ourselves opposite. We put ourselves opposite of Him. And I ask the question, isn't that what is meant by being an enemy of God? Number two, these things are temporary. And that's important to remember. These things are temporary. It's a sideshow. It's a distraction. And we have to think about all this stuff as such. This is all a sideshow. Yet our emotions and our life and our livelihoods and so much of it is trapped up in them. It doesn't matter. They pass away. And Satan wants us to keep us from thinking about the eternal. When I'm engaged in whatever mission or whatever goals or objectives my video game is setting out for me, I'm not thinking about the eternal. And by doing so, I shift my perspective from that of God's will to one of the, this world under the sun, as Solomon says in Ecclesiastes. So some of you may know, some of you may not. Solomon uh, was the third king of Israel. He was David's son. He became king at a young age. And he was scared. And he prayed to God. He told him he was scared. And God said, ask what you want from me, and I'll give it to you. And what Solomon asked for? He asked for wisdom, and what God gave him? Wisdom. Everything. Wisdom and 
He said, I'm not only going to give you wisdom, but because you didn't ask for money, because you didn't ask for the lives of the enemies, because you didn't ask for all this other stuff, I'm going to give it all to you. Solomon is one of the most unique case studies in Scripture because of this. Think about having wisdom from God. You have to say that he's the smartest man that ever lived under Jesus. Uh, his experience was different than that of any other humans. And if you read Ecclesiastes and Proverbs and Song of Solomon, you see how weird different his life was. At some point it says that he had people just bringing him tribute for no reason. People were literally just bringing him billions of dollars. At one point it says that he was given 666 talents of gold per year. That's somewhere between, it translated into the 2016, I did the calculation, 2016, that was somewhere between 832 million and a billion dollars. That's just a tribute. It didn't include what he was actually doing. It didn't include anything that he got from his possession. Just think about that. He had more money, he had more possessions than anything you could possibly imagine. And he experimented with it. <coughs> Let's see what he says here. And then let's see what the bottom line is. Because remember, the point is these things are temporary. Solomon's writing here in Ecclesiastes 2. He said, you know what I said to myself? Come, I'm going to test you with pleasure. So enjoy yourself. So Solomon's thinking, I've got all this stuff. I'm going to enjoy pleasures and see what comes from it. And behold, it too was futility. A set of laughter, it's madness. And of pleasure, what does it accomplish? I explored with my mind how to stimulate my body with wine while my mind was guiding me wisely and how to take hold of folly until I could see what good there is for sons, to do, sons of men to do under heaven the few years of their lives. I enlarged my works. I built houses for myself. I planted vineyards. I made gardens and parks. I planted all kinds of fruit trees. I made ponds of water for myself in which to irrigate a forest of growing trees. I bought male and female slaves, I had homeborn slaves, I possessed flocks and herds larger than all who preceded me in Jerusalem. I collected for myself silver and gold and the treasure of kings and provinces. I provided for myself male and female seniors, and the pleasures of many men, many concubines. Then I became great, and I increased more than all who preceded me in Jerusalem. My wisdom also stood by me. All that my eyes desired, I did not refuse them. I did not withhold my heart from any pleasure, for my heart was pleased because of all my labor. And this was my reward for all my labor. Thus, I considered all my activities which my hands had done, and the labor which I had exerted, and behold, all was vain. And striving after the wind, and there was no profit under the sun. So think about that for a second. Here's a guy with a unique opportunity and a unique experience in history to where he literally had everything he wanted. There was no provision withheld from him. If he wanted gardens, he built them. If he wanted houses, he built them. If he wanted, uh, if he wanted to get drunk, he got drunk. If he wanted to have sex, he had sex. Whatever pleasures, whatever the world offered him, he didn't withhold. And what was the conclusion? It's all vanity. It's striving after the wind. It's worthless, he said. At the end of the day, what Solomon's really saying here is, I did what you guys can't do. I engaged in all of it. I did it all. And at the end, it was worthless. It was a sideshow. Nothing matters outside of a relationship with God. That's what he means by under the sun. God's not under the sun. And look at this, in verse 13 of Ecclesiastes, this is the second to last verse in the entire book. He says, the conclusion is this, when all has been heard. Fear God, keep his commandments, because this applies to every person. That's the wisest person who ever lived, other than Jesus. It doesn't get any more bottom line than that. The entire message of Ecclesiastes is that nothing under the sun including a perspective that comes from under the sun matters because it all passes away. So why do we waste our time, our effort, our emotions, and our money on the things of this world? They're temporary. They're vanity. They're chasing after the wind. To chase after them is futile. To collect them is worthless. 
Listen to what Jesus said. Matthew 9, 6, 19. Jesus says, don't store yourself. Don't store up for yourself treasures on earth. Where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What in the world is Jesus talking about? What do you guys think? I've bolded the parts that we should look at. Does it make sense based on what we've looked at from the world system and based on what Solomon said in Ecclesiastes, don't store yourselves up treasures on earth? They all go away. They all pass away. But he says, store up yourselves treasures in heaven. How is that possible? Is eternal life a reward? No. So eternal life is not a reward. That's a gift. We can't store that up. Then what in the world are we going to store up in heaven? Your rewards. Services. Yeah, so think about that. So think about that in the context of what we've talked about today. How do you store up for yourself rewards in heaven? By using the gifts of the Spirit of you. To do what? To glorify God. How? Faithfulness to who? Jesus. If you ever stop, they say that. Just say Jesus. <laughs> Through others. If you love the world, who are you not loving? God and, and others. Someday, in 2 Corinthians 5, says that we will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may be recompensed or given back for the deeds that he's done in this body, whether those deeds are good or worthless. Someday, not dealing with our eternal life, every person in this room will stand before Jesus. And we're going to give an account of ourselves. We're not going to decide whether or not we go to heaven. That comes by faith. He wants to reward us. He says to recompense, to give back. He wants to give back to us based on our, what Paige said, our faithfulness to serve. This is self-serving. Remember? The flesh is self-serving. It's the part of us that wants what we want. Jesus, James, Paul, Peter, urge us to set this sideshow aside. Solomon says it's a vanity. You can't take it with you. In 1 John, he says, this is all passing away. So Jesus says, store for yourselves up treasures in heaven. You do that by serving God. I said vis-a-vis -vis others. Really, it's you serve vis-a-vis -vis others, vis-a-vis -vis God. So think about that. How can you use your gifts, talents, and abilities to faithfully serve God? Because that's very sore up rewards for yourself in heaven. And verse 21 deals with your motives. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Is it, we talked about this in our group group on Sunday, are rewards an inappropriate uh, motivation? No. No, no. Paul says to run the race that you win the prize. Because everyone competes in the game. Run in such a way that you may win. That's okay. It's okay to serve. It's okay to work for the reward. But really, the reward is in serving God. That, because that involves and includes enjoying and participating in the life that He set for us to enjoy. That's rewarding. That's the quality of life that He wants us to have right now. So he gives us, he changes us from the inside out. He, he makes us spiritually alive. He gives us spiritual gifts. He does all the work even in that. All we have to do is put that stuff into practice to serve him with our gifts, talents, and abilities. 
And if we do that, based on everything that he's done for us, someday we're going to stand before him and he's going to reward us in the kingdom. That's pretty cool. Number three, we are to be in the world, but not of the world. We're to be in the world, but not of the world. I ask the question, at what point does the distraction create separation? At what, what point does the distraction become sin? And you guys have done a good job of answering that so far. And I think it stands. But remember, it's how Satan wins. Immersed in the world starts with just dipping your toe in, just putting it in, saying, ah, I'm just going to do this for a while. It's not sinful. I'm not going to let it become sinful. And then all of a sudden, it starts to feel pretty good. And you start to get distracted. That's how Satan wins. Never forget that these things in the world are a result of Satan's scheme and part of his plan, not God's. Uh, I think spiritual maturity and wisdom helps guide you to be in the world, not of the world. Uh, the more and more you become conformed to Christ's image, I think the better you are uh, in terms of your desire to even be a part of all, any of these things. But we're supposed to be in the world. Uh, we're just not supposed to be in the world. Listen to Jesus' prayer for his disciples here in John. What verse do I start, you guys, with 13? Mm -hmm. Okay. Mine goes back to 6, but 1 to 13. So it's Jesus praying over his disciples, and he's kept praying to God, his Father. He says, But now I come to you, and these things I speak in the world, so that they, me and his disciples, may have my joy made full of themselves. I have given them your word, and the world is hated them. Because they're not of the world, even as I am not of the world. He says, I don't ask you to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. Even with his disciples, Jesus says, you're not supposed to come out of the world. You're supposed to be in it because I need you. I need you to solve light. And so he prays to God. He says, God, I ask you, don't take them out of the world. Just keep them from the evil one. He doesn't say, keep the evil one from them. Yeah. He says, uh, that's a good point. Keep them from the evil one. Yeah. It's good. He says, I don't ask you to take them out. Keep them evil. They're not of this world. Even as I'm not of the world. And here's a famous verse. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is the truth. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. For their sakes I sanctify myself that they themselves may also be sanctified in truth. Verse 20. Now he changes it to us. I do not ask on behalf of these alone, but for those who also believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you <coughs> sent me. Okay. You guys remember lesson one we talked about being in Christ, about our position? Look what Jesus says again in verse 20. This is talking about us. He's not talking about just his disciples now. He's praying for us. I don't ask on behalf of these alone, but those who are who believe in me through their word, that they all may be one, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may also be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. There's a lot to say in this passage. It's a big passage. And it applies to several theological areas, but we're going to focus on the world aspect of it. We see from this passage that we are not of the world, this world, but have been sent into the world. Does anybody remember the Great Commission? What's the command? We're supposed to make disciples. Of who? All the nations. Baptizing the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. We've been sent into the world. Jesus is, just as Jesus was sending his disciples into the world, we were sent into the world. As believers seeking to walk in the newness of life, we are to maintain our union and our fellowship in Christ. Why? We see in verse 21, so that the world may believe. Do you guys have that blank? No, I take care of So that the world may believe. He said, uh, I don't ask for these alone, but for those who are in me through their word, they may all be one. 
as just as you, Father, and I are in me, and I in you, so that they may believe in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. Okay? Then look what he says in Philippians 2, one of my favorite verses. Uh, God's talking, or excuse me, Paul's talking here, and really this applies to all believers. He's talking about being above approach, which means be blameless. He says, do all things without grumbling or disputing. He's talking about among each other, by the way. Get along. So why? Well, so that you'll prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent. So that you'll be children of God above approach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you appear as lights in the world. Does that apply to today? Are we a crooked and perverse generation? Okay, we know that's true. Can we say the same thing about whether or not we're lights in this world? It gets to be in it. How do we be light? Lights among all of that. It seems overwhelming at this point, to be honest with you. It's not, though. Having the conversations that we're having even tonight in this class, and the conversations that we have with one another in our homes, and the things that we teach our kids, that's the stuff that we're preparing them to be lights in this crooked and perverse generation. We're preparing ourselves. And then I like what, did I read your 16 in there? I don't know if I took it out or not. Yeah. Okay, so let's look at this by the way. Because you're reading Paul's motive for writing this to the people in the Philippine. He says, you know what, I want you to be children of God above approach the midst of the crooked and perverse generation above them you're supposed to appear as lights. And I want you to hold fast the word. Which means live it out. Know it and live it out. Why? So that in the day of Christ, I will have reason to glory because I didn't run in vain nor toil in vain. Paul discipled the Philippians. They're his peeps. They're his disciples. And Paul says, look, if you guys live it out and you're holding fast the word and you're being a light to a crooked and perverse generation, then you're going to impact it. And if you impact it, then when I stand at the judgment seat of Christ in the day of Christ, I'll have reason to glory. And I'll know that I didn't run in vain or toil in vain. I'm basically saying, I'm going to get rewards for discipling you and you guys going out and being uh, lights to a crooked and perverse generation. So then again, we see Paul asking basically for the reward. He's motivated by it. That's okay. Okay, so we've seen that all that is in the world pulls us to love it. But we cannot love the world without at the same time. They are inherent opposites. Because Satan controls this and he designed it in such a way to where he's the guy there. So we can't love God and the world at the same time. The things in the world are temporary and they distract us from maintaining eternal perspective. He uses, Satan uses our eyes, uh, he uses the lust of our flesh uh, to keep up keep us thinking about ourselves and to keep us from thinking about things that truly matter. And again, I want to resist making this sound legalistic. It is somewhat black and white, but remember what Paul says in Galatians 5.13. He says, you're called to freedom. You're called to freedom, right? Just don't let your freedom turn into an opportunity through the flesh, but through love, serve one another. So in a sense, you have freedom. Just use it for good. You have freedom to serve. Three, we're to be in the world, but not of the world. We have two competing desires that demand our love. The greatest commandment is to love God. The second is like it, to love others. But the world demands that you love it too. Uh, I think COVID was a pretty great epitomization of the world making people bow to its demands. Now, I don't want to get super political or any conspiracy theorists. I want to resist that because I believe that COVID was harmful and I believe that it killed people and all that stuff. But even in that, we saw the world system bow to its demands. And we saw the church, I think, hurt from it. Because like in Hebrews it says, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together as the habit of some. But encourage one another all the more you see the day draw near. We couldn't do that. 
said he was winning in that way. And he disguises tracks of the world in such a way that they pull our emotions, where they pull in ways that make the traps look harmless, or maybe even good. Because it was. I mean, let's think about it. It was good to keep people from dying. That's good. But it also is bad to keep believers from conquering. Because we need each other to encourage one another, to hold one another accountable. So quick summary. The world, in the context of the fallen world system, is the counterfeit existence developed by the counterfeit God to keep us from a genuine existence with the genuine God. I don't know what we'll get to in that future. Two, you can't love God and things in the world at the same time. You can't. They're inherently opposite to one another because one is controlled by the God and one is controlled by a false God. The things of the world are temporary and they distract us from the appropriate or right perspective. That's something to think about. Remember, it's all a sideshow. We cannot store up eternal rewards with anything done by worldly motivation. Check your motives, know why you live what you do. Five, we're to be in the world but not of the world, so that we can be lights to the world and that they might believe. And at the end of our lives, we'll have run the race for a purpose, as Paul said. This is so that I'll have reason to glory. Think about that. In the day of Christ, would you have reason to glory? Did you train up your children in the way that they should go? Did you prepare them to be lights to uh, crooked and perverse generation? Are you an example to people? Do you disciple people? And will you have reason to glory? Will your motives be right in that day? It's something to think about, and it's okay to be motivated by. One is the first application. Keep an eternal perspective with the time that you have on earth. Like Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived. He said, don't have a perspective of one that's under the sun because it's all worthless, it's futile. Everything outside of your relationship with God is a sideshow designed to distract you and save. Make it count for Christ by storing up heavenly treasures, not worldly treasures. We do that by loving God and loving others. Serving God and serving God. Two, this one's convicting for me. I don't even like to read it. Consider your attachments. Know what you're physically, emotionally, or spiritually tied to. Something just a quick minute, we forgot to put something. Can you guys think of something that you are spiritually, physically, or emotionally tied to that you can idolize? That you what? Can idolize? Relationship with the Lord. It's hard when you see Jesus say, He who loves son or daughter more than me isn't worthy of me. He who loves father or mother more than me isn't worthy of me. That's a priority thing. So often, the part of our flesh, the part of our pride that gets comfort. It gets satisfaction, it gets joy, it gets all these emotional feels from our relationships can stand in our way of our relationship with God. So know what you're physically, emotionally, and spiritually tied to. Okay? It can be any of these things. It can be your people, sex, it can be entertainment, anything leisurely that distracts, power, status, money, education, and all that. Here's three. Just like Jesus prayed for his disciples, know that the world's going to hate you. When you're taking an appropriate stance, you should expect opposition. And you should expect persecution. Be bold in the face of temptation. Be bold in the face of peer pressure. In the flow of our culture because it's passing away. That's something to take comfort in. We know how this thing ends. We know who wins in the and even though in 2022 we are now on the visiting team, there are less Christians than non-Christians. It's time. It's time to power up. Because there's a battle coming. And the flow of the culture is going to push us away. And it's going to make us, it's going to attempt to make us feel stupid. It's going to attempt to make us feel irrelevant. That's simply not true. We are lights to a cricket of the first generation. So we're going to have to stand strong. 
as we've seen in the last few weeks, that means making a strong stance, being standing firm, and being alert so that we can resist. It means drawing close to God. And then number four, be an example for the world. Let people see the confidence of your union with Christ and your love for others. Do you guys remember in the first week when I said, if you don't understand your identity in Christ, you can't do this. When Jesus talks about us being in union with Him so that people will believe, this is what He's talking about. How can we understand our union in Christ if we don't even know who we are? Most of our country is confused about their gender. Much less who they are in Christ. Satan designed it that way. He loves when people are confused about their identity. Because their spiritual identity is never even going to be considered. Most Christians don't know what it means to be in Christ, which is the purpose of this study. When you realize who we are, and that you already have one inherent battle, that's a big deal, because Satan has created this entire sideshow to appeal to that one little piece of your identity, there's a battle. But being in Christ means that you were made spiritually alive. That the Holy Spirit now dwells you and empowers you. And we have the opportunity and the pleasure and the responsibility to participate with Him in His good work. No matter what the culture says. Or no matter what the flow of society says. We can stand firm. Make a strong stance. Be alert and so we can resist. Let people see that confidence in our union with Christ. Because we're going to need it. Our kids are going to need it.